pray, and let's kick off our time in Colossians. Holy Spirit, you are surely alive and at work in this place. I pray right now for me and this people. Your word is about to be opened in front of us, and as I pray often, we just really need your help to understand it, to see it, for it to make a difference in our lives. As individuals in this room, we really need our community to love us and care for us, to speak life into us. Would you encourage our community to do that for us? Jesus, will you help me to be a man in my community that loves and encourages my community group, stands with them and their hurts, habits, and hangups, and loves them well? Jesus, may this be a group of people that when people see them, they go, wow, those must be Jesus' people because of the way that they love one another. Only you can make that happen, God. I pray you do. Amen. All right, guys. So give me in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. Why don't you open your Bibles there? We like to go through the Bible here at Outpost. find it's pretty helpful. So you guys go there. It's good to have a Bible open in your lap. Uh, Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. Let me tell you guys, when I was in college, uh, I took a, a class, and I had to write an, a paper on this uh, article that we read. And the article was titled, Advertising the Apocalypse. Think about that. Advertising the Apocalypse. And so basically what this article was about was that advertisements are bringing the downfall of the world. It's very dramatic. Um, But the point was, hey, we're advertising all these things and all this stuff, and we're showing people all these things that they need, and they need to buy, and they need experience, and they need to do. And all these things that they're buying and experiencing or doing are exhausting the planet. And we're taking more than we really need, uh, and it's going to destroy us. And so I'm going to read that, and it kind of makes sense. I get that. There's limitations to what this world can offer, but that's not what I want to talk to you about today. I'm not trying to necessarily save the planet. I want to see your souls uh, see the Savior. And so one of the things that I realized, though, about advertisements is that they're everywhere. Am I right? They are everywhere. I don't even know what the stat is anymore. I've heard it's like we see like 4,000 ads a day. I was like, what? Who is counting that? But we see ads everywhere. Recently, we were down in Dallas. There are advertisements to, to live your best life everywhere. And they range from underwear to a special watch to a vacation in the Bahamas, right? <clears throat> to Lululemon pants, okay? There's all kinds of messages out there like, if you do this, if you have that, if you go there, you will be happy. Let me ask you, have you ever bought anything that was advertised to you and you go, you know what? I have officially arrived. I have everything I need now. These Lululemon pants are so comfortable. I will never need to eat again, have a conversation again, right? Be encouraged. These pants are all I need, right? Now, Jake Scott might say that, but the rest of you have no idea what Lululemon is. We are advertising the apocalypse, and I would say advertising and selling our world, the demonic forces of evil who, if you don't believe they exist, they've already beat you. They want to constantly tell you, you don't have what you need, and you're not enough, and Jesus surely is not enough. So this morning, I want to look, we're going to look at this passage, and there's a lot of questions that I think we're going to land on at the very end, and some of those questions are this. Why hasn't my faith turned into what was promised? And you ever feel that way? Like you got falsely advertised. 
Why has my, my faith not turned into what was promised? Why do I still feel anxious and full of doubts? Anybody feel anxious? Anybody have doubts? Oh, you can't have doubts. It's the church. You just got to believe. What do I need to do if I feel like I'm not getting anywhere in my faith? What do I need to do? Is it another trip? Is it another trick? Is it another Bible study? What do I need? What, what do I need to do? What if my community groups feels like it's stalled out? Anybody feel like your community group is just stalled out? Don't raise your hand. Don't say anything. They're probably near you. Right? I feel like we've stalled out. What do we do? What's the best way to disciple somebody? How do I help people know Jesus? Anybody feel that way? I know I should disciple people, but what's the best way to do this? These are things that I want to land on at the end, and we're going to look at this passage, and we're going to see that Paul's going to answer some of these, he's going to do some of these things with us, and it's really simple. So we're going to look at it in three ways. Number one, we're going to look, about, look at uh, what it means to be captivated by Jesus, and then we're going to acknowledge some of the challenges that we face. Number two, we just sang about it, we're going to talk about what does it really look like to fix your eyes on Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and see the things of this world grow strangely dim, and the light of his glory and grace. Some of you got it. Awesome. My Baptist boys. And then lastly, we're going to look at some of the implications of this. Like, what does this mean for our life? Like, it's one thing to show up and have the Bible tied, leave and go, man, that was great. Greg was funny. Um, but to leave and go, No. I know what's next for me when I leave this room. Anybody want that? That's what we're here to do, right? If you showed up because you thought that somehow we're, we saw you and we're going to report to God your attendance, you are gravely mistaken, okay? I can't even see you right now. You're just a blur. So let's do this. Colossians 2, verse 6. Let's let the Bible talk to us, okay? Verse 6, it says this. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. All right, let's pause. Anytime you're in the Bible and you read the word therefore, you got to pause and you got to ask, what is it there for, right? Why does it say that? Well, over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the supremacy of Jesus, what that means is he's amazing. No one's bigger than him. Nobody's better than him. He is it. Does that make sense in a church to talk about the supremacy of Jesus? You bet your boots it is. And I would say that we're talking about how captivating Jesus really is. Captivating basically means capable of attracting and holding interest. Let me remind you of how captivating Jesus really is. In, in Colossians 1, 15, it says, man, he is the physical image of the invisible God. It told us that he created everything. Think of anything that is made in this world, he made it. It also told us that he is holding everything together, right? It told us that he loves us. It tells us that he put death to death for our sake. I know you're feeling distracted because the baby's crying. The Lord is holding that child together right now. It's awesome. Jesus put death to death. Think about that. And he did that by taking death on himself to set us free into new life. I mean, he's truly a captivating. He, he came in and he called out legalism. He elevated women to their proper place before the Lord. I mean, I could go on and on. He truly is the most captivating individual 
in the history of the world. And Paul says that this Jesus, we Christians, if you are like me in this room, we call him Lord. What does that mean? Well, you guys live in a house, I'm assuming, okay? And when you invite people to your house, where do they come through usually? A door. And you, who usually opens that door? Who? You say it out loud. Hopefully it's you. Yeah, you open the door. Unless they're a really close friend and they're just like, and they just bust in. Ashley Alexander at my house all the time. All right? You open the door and what you do is you're receiving them into your house. Come on in. And usually when you invite somebody in your house, you invite them into the common spaces. Am I right? So it's like the living room. Hey, come on. Come on in. The living room. Come on into the dining room. Come on into the kitchen. But there's a few spaces probably you don't invite them into, right? You should come check out my bedroom. It's like, no, man, I haven't cleaned that thing. It's like, get out of there, right? But we invite them into these spaces. Now, I want you to think about this with Jesus. When you invite your friends into the space, who's still in charge of the space? You are. It's your living room. It's your dining room. It's your kitchen. It's your house. You're in charge. When we invite Jesus into our life, we allow them through the front doors of our life, we invite him in, and we call him Lord, who suddenly outranked you in the room? Jesus does. Hey, Christian, listen to me. When you invite Jesus into your life, the living room becomes his. The dining room becomes his. The kitchen becomes his. And the permission to go in each room is his. Let me ask you a question. Me and my wife talking about this yesterday. It's super hard. Is there any space in your house that Jesus is not allowed to go to? Let me ask you this. Is there any part of your life that you're not letting him be Lord of? How you use your living room is easy to talk about. How you use your dining room and your kitchen. But... Is, is he Lord of your parenting? We call Jesus Lord, but is he the Lord of our finances? Is he the Lord of our sex life? Is he the Lord of our friendships? Is he the Lord of our plans and our futures and our, our jobs? Is he the Lord of our leadership? We have to ask ourselves, if Jesus is Lord, is he Lord of our life or is he Lord of just some pieces of our life? Now, I'm not just wanting to make you feel guilty because the reality is, as Bonnie and I were talking, like, we both go, oh, man, yeah, this area and that area and this area. And when I ask you, is he Lord of this, I don't mean that you are perfectly 100% yielded to the Spirit in every single area of your life. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, are you trying to give him permission in those spaces? Are you, start, are you trying to go, hey, God, my finances, what would you have me to do with them? I'm not always in line, but what would you have me do? I'm not, look, I'm not trying to lay up guilt on you, but the reality is if you're going to call him Lord, let him be Lord, right? And if you invite him in your life, you're inviting him into these spaces. Or do you not know that your body, who you are, is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. Do you know this, Christian? Why? Because you were bought with a price. Anybody here bought with a price? Can, can I get an amen? There's a couple of people who's like... That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> she is showing you what Jesus said when he said the faith of a child. Good job, sweetie. You were bought with a price. So what? Glorify God 
with your body. Glorify God with your finances, with your faith, with your parenting, with everything in your life. You go, he is Lord. And in the way he's, he's not, I am asking for help that he might be. That's what it means to bring him in. So if you've received Jesus, you've welcomed in the divine will, the divine king into your life to be king. That's what that means, guys, when you said you want to follow Jesus. It's not that you've invited him to have control over 9.30 to whenever Greg finishes. You can have this time. So when this ends, it's, his, his command continues. It kind of reminds me of Iron Man. You guys know who Iron Man is? Okay. There's, there's, the thing about Iron Man is there's the Iron Man and then there's Tony Stark. There's the Iron Man and then there's Tony Stark. You guys always think that in your walk with Jesus, you're Tony Smart. Tony Smart. You are Tony Stark. The reason why I say that is you think you're the smart one, Right? But here's the thing about the Iron Man. It is opened up to receive this man that comes into it who is really the one who is embodying the control from the inside. And when we invite and we receive Jesus into our life, we receive him in, then we walk him out. So when Tony Stark moves his arms, the Iron Man moves its arms. Whatever is in the mind of Tony Stark becomes the embodiment of the Iron Man. And in the same way, when you open yourself up to Jesus and you receive him in and he goes, let's move this way, let's move that way, you go, let's go. I want to move your way. You see that? And he wants to work in us. That's what it means. You see, your inner life is meant to reflect Jesus and the characteristics of Jesus. Now, if you're anything like me, okay, you're not so good at that. And the inside of who you are you're still trying to hold on to things. You're still trying to like, you know, he's, Jesus is going, hey, can I look in this room? You're like, no, no not, not right now. I guess I gotta, right, I'm going to clean that up first and then you could check it out. Anybody like that? You got some secret sins in your life right now and you're holding it back from the Lord. But here's the thing about the Lord is that he loves us. And he's not going to open, he's not kicking down doors to go, we're putting this out in the lawn. Everybody in the neighborhood needs to see this. He's going, hey, invite me into that space because I'm the only one who can fix it. I want in there. Now, being a representation of Jesus on the outside is really difficult. It begins on the inside. And I think a lot of us, I, when I read this, I go, man, is this even possible to do this? And the answer really is no, it's not possible. But it is far more possible than you realize. If, guys, listen to me, we talked about this for weeks in our pattern series. If you partner with God in what we see in the rest of this verse in Colossians. If you partner with God to be rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. Just guys, as you've been taught Sunday after Sunday, abounding in thanksgiving. You know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of what Jesus says in his parable, right? Talking about, he talked about there's this man who builds his house on a rock and there's a man who builds his house in the sand. What's the difference? Well, the man who builds his house on the rock digs down deep to root the foundation of his life on something that is solid. It's rock. It's a big chunk of solidness. And he roots down, then he builds and establishes a life for himself that is built on, and what Jesus is saying, on Jesus. Why? Because the reality is storms are going to come in your way, right? Every one of us knows that. Some of you have gone through them, some of you are in one, and some of you have one on the way. And they're going to come. And storms always do what storms do. 
They batter at us. They beat us. They break into us. They cause doubts and fear and anxiety. And am I going to make it? Are we going to do all right? Are we going to, is our marriage going to make it through? Am my kid going to be okay? You know, are we going to have enough money? Are we going to need to sell it? Like all these things. And here's the thing. The man who built his house on the rock, what does he say? It comes, it beats against him, but he is established. He may have lost some sighting. A rock might have went through the window. Listen, every, every hurricane gives us some scars. Am I right? But he's established. There was not a single moment where he go, I don't have to abandon what I believed in. It stayed true all the way through. But then there's the man who builds his life on the sand. And what is sand, guys? Sand is rocks. Just really itty-bitty ones. The rock that that man built on was the truth of Jesus Christ. These rocks are all little truths that are disjointed and not connected, right? That's why they're easy to build on. It's easy to be convinced to build on them. You go, oh yeah, that's kind of true, that's kind of true, that's kind of true. Every great lie has a little truth. And you build on the sand. But the thing about sand, it's, very, it's a great easy analogy, guys, is it shifts. It moves. And when the storm comes and batters against your life... When you have these doubts that are suddenly throwing off your entire life and you're finding that what you thought was established isn't really established and your whole life gets swept away by it, that's what he's saying right here. When he's saying what you're taught, he's talking about the things you learn about Jesus, root and establish and build yourselves in those things. Friends and family, listen to me. It's not just listening to Greg talk. It's, hey, you can get one of these things and you can sit in it. And you can be active with the Lord to go, man, God, I want to know this. Put this into my heart. I want to receive this truth in me. I want to build my life on it. I want to just be established in you. I want to trust and have my faith in you. And no matter what comes my way, you are the thing I'm going to hold on to. I'm going to hold on to you over and over and over and over, telling yourself that over and over and over. And you've got to do it, guys, because showing up to church on Sundays is going to do nothing for you if that's all you do. What you need is flow. All right? What you need is flow. Okay? And I'm not talking about that gal from the insurance commercials. I'm talking about, you know that anybody, I don't know if any of you guys have played basketball, but there, in basketball, when you catch flow as a basketball team, it is one of the best experiences. I, I played basketball. When, whenever all five guys are sinking, right, and we're just like, we're moving the ball and just transitioning well and filling gaps and doing all that stuff, it's just like buckets after buckets, and you're like, dude, this is amazing, Right? I lost three quarters of you on that analogy right there. Um, <clears throat> you guys have no idea what you're talking about. But here's the thing about flow. Flow is extremely powerful. And I, I spent, uh, two weeks ago, I spent a lot of time reading what researchers are writing about social media. And so there are a lot of guys in these uh, Ivy League schools spending time trying to figure out what is the best way to help these social media companies get more of your time and attention. And one of the things they've come to realize is flow is crucial. Let me help you understand this. We're going to show some things on the screen with it to help you get the idea, okay? But <clears throat> flow is crucial. This is what they're finding. <clears throat> flow is crucial for increase in captivation, enjoyment, control over you, and curiosity. This is their words. What they said, social media researchers have found <clears throat> that flow is necessary to hold captive what they call the consumer. If they can keep your attention with flow, they know they can hold on to the consumer. Because here's, real, here's the realization, guys. Your attention is worth money. And if they can put something in front of you and not get, let you get distracted by anything else 
but hold that attention, they can sell your attention to the highest bidder. You're just a consumer. You're like, like a little crop that they're going to continue to pull stuff off of. And the other thing that they realize, this is so amazing, new words are coming up. Flow increases what they call time distortion. What is time distortion? I guarantee you, most of you know what this is. It's when you're sitting there on your phone and you go, oh man, <clears throat> you thought you were there for two minutes and then you go look at your watch, 45 minutes? Oh my goodness, I'm late. Anybody ever have that? Well, you're sitting there scrolling and 30 minutes go by, you thought it was a minute and a half. That's called time distortion. It's a real thing. They're taking your attention and they're taking your time. So I want to show you a few things that they, these researchers have found, and I want to show you what God is trying to do. And both of these guys takes flow, which means a consistent effort of looking at. So the first thing, driven by self. Let me show you this. <clears throat> this side is driven by self. Social media is not about the social. It's about you. And, it's, and so what they do is they try to capture your mind with aesthetic imagery. All right? Aesthetic imagery might be a, a woman in a bikini. Might be a sweet-looking beer great watch on a businessman who's just killing the game, right? Whatever it is. A cool experience, a cat video, right? Man, have I gotten sucked into those before, right? Wake up 45 minutes and all you've watched is stupid things. And they, we're going to catch you with this aesthetic imagery. Second thing, consumer inspiration. They want to put into your eyes things that inspire you, and they're not trying to inspire you to be a, great, a better person. They're trying to inspire you to purchase things, because they're trying to sell off your time, they're trying to make money. Third thing, they realize that it creates infinity sensation. What does that mean? Have you ever noticed that when you're scrolling, there's never a bottom? It goes on forever. And so you get this feeling of this is just never ending and you're constantly going and you're never gonna find the bottom. It's a part of flow. Fourth thing, habitual entertainment. I call it anxiety. What it does is guys, uh, these social media companies have found that it's really easy to get you into the habit of constantly needing to be entertained. Uh, some of you parents in here, right, you're like, why is it that my kids always have to feel like they need to be entertained? Oh, if they just leave me alone for a minute so I can sit over here and scroll on my phone, that'd be awesome. <laughs> right? Let's be real. You're also a child who just wants to be entertained. But the problem is, well, uh, we can never be still. We can never listen. We can never be alone. And it's trained us that we have to, we got to be doing something. we got to go somewhere. we gotta, got to be. And so we feel like we're always missing something and needing something. All right? Remember that I said that. It's a Colossians problem. It's also your problem. All right, let's keep going. <clears throat> it's designed to affirm consumer bias. Let me just tell you guys, some of your opinions are way wrong. So wrong. Okay? Way wrong. But this thing is designed, they literally designed it to affirm what you feel. You need this. This is about you. They can literally now track your eyeball where it moves, see how long you linger on things down to milliseconds, and then what they're going to do is, in real time, give you more of that. Give you more of that. Oh, cat videos. Well, here's 50,000 more of them. And so what they're going to do is going to continue to affirm that. Okay, last thing. I think it's the last one. This is literally what researchers, non-believers, this is the way they concluded, both of these huge articles I read concluded the same way. That when, they create, when you create flow in your social media company, it's going to result in inner and outer change. Do you realize non-believers who want to make money off your attention know that they can change you in the inside to the outside if they can keep something in front of your eyes? I used to hear teenagers say all the time, oh, the, the music I listen to doesn't change me. 
The world is saying, yeah, it does. And we've got research to prove it. Now, let me show you. This is what's driven by self. Let me show you the other side. Driven by the Spirit. What is, what's the imagery that God wants for you? It's Jesus. Colossians 1.15, he is the image of the visible God. And you're going, yeah, but it's, it's not like a, you know, a woman in a bikini, though. It's Jesus. I wonder if I could really see you. But this is what he wants you to look at. God is saying, look to me. And that's what he's going to do in this passage. That's what he did in Colossians 1, 15 through 20. Look at who he is. Paul's saying, look at him. Hey, get your eyes off of this thing. Look at Jesus. Second thing, Christ is the inspiration. We look to Jesus and we go, man, all that he's accomplished, all that he's done, all that, how he feels about us, his, uh, the identity he wants to give to us, and it inspires us to be a lot more than we could ever be by looking at Jesus rather than, hey, let's, can, let's get you to buy something. I don't want you all to buy anything here. Okay, well, we did a few weeks ago with some Outpost shirts, but that was your choice, okay? <clears throat> Let's keep going. Eternal destination versus an infinity sensation. God's just not wanting you to live in this. Dude, somebody's like, look at this, man. It's love. Hey, where were you guys when I had that migraine and I couldn't read the page? Okay, nobody came up here and helped me. That brother right there brought me some water. Eternal destination. God's trying to, God's trying to help you not just have this feeling of eternity now, but to really give you eternity later. The third, uh, fourth thing. Instead of a habitual entertainment, he wants to give you something that's called peace. When you look at the imagery of Jesus, you find that, oh, as me and my new friend Scout were talking about, he's, he's already taking care of everything. So I can just be? Yes, you could just be. Fifth thing, instead of designed to affirm consumer bias, when you're driven by the Spirit and you focus your eyes on Jesus, the fifth thing is this, transform desires. Hey, guys, uh, for a long, long, long time, I, I battled with desires to look at pornography. And I thought that in that imagery, I was going to find something that would meet a need. Never did. It satisfied for a moment, but never fully satisfied, and for, satisfied me. But the more that I, and what was told to me by the church was just stop doing it, all right? That's disgusting. Just stop doing it. But I was like, yeah, but it, I still want to do it. Until some people came into my life and said, hey, um, we get that you want to look at that, but let me show you Jesus. Look full into his wonderful face. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim. I found that God has transformed my desires where I go, yeah, I don't want that. And I'm not saying that because I'm better than you. I'm saying that because Jesus is better than the methods that you're using right now to try to defeat your sin. And the last thing is it results in inner and outer change. The exact same thing. Guys, God wants to change you from the inside out. You know what? I should just like honor you for giving me this water. You bought this, didn't you, in, in the hallway? You're the man. <clears throat> awesome. Guys, God is less concerned about all these fruit sins on the outside. He's more concerned about, do you know him? Are you seeing him? Are you engaging with him? Are you allowing him to every room of your heart to be with Jesus, guys? To be with him. And so what's the answer? What do we got to do? Well, it's point two. It's we got to fix our eyes on our connection to Jesus. Listen to me, guys. If you you got to hear this. We've got to intentionally fix our eyes on our connection to Jesus. Go to verse 9, because he's going to showcase all that we are connected to in Jesus Christ. It says, for in him, you in him, in him is the fullness of deity dwells bodily. We've already talked about God, God was literally in the man Jesus. That's why he's so captivating and amazing. Verse 10, and you have been filled in him. Like, meditate on that. God is in Jesus. Jesus is in you. And together you are in the Father. Like, you're, you're with each other. 
And that's what God really, really wants, is for you to see that you are connected to Jesus, and he is the head of all rule and authority. He owns the house he bought you. Verse 11, in him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now, what does this mean, this whole thing about this, this, this circumcision? It can be distracting, but what you need to understand uh, about circumcision in the Old Testament is circumcision was a personal sign to a man of the covenant relationship he had with God. It was a personal sign. It was a sign that nobody else needed to see. It was between him and the Lord, that he had a relationship with this God. And this, this God, in this relationship, had authority over his life and said, here's the way that I want you to live. This is the good way. And so what would happen is the Jews, when they would live in that covenant relationship with Jesus or with God, what was personal and hidden should become public in the way they live their life. Do you hear what I'm saying? It was a personal reminder to them. They have a covenant relationship with this God, and then the rest of the world would see that they are different through the way that they live their life. In the same way, what he's talking about here is you have a circumcision that's not one of hands. It's not a physical one. It's a spiritual one. And though nobody can see what God has cut away in your life, in the heart, and your spirit, through the overflow of what Jesus is going to do in you, they'll see it on the outside, right? They're going to see your good deeds, and they're going to glorify who? You? No. They're going to glorify your God in heaven because there's something different about that person. And you go, it's because I have a personal relationship with this God, and he has cut off this old life. Second thing he says about that is, He's cut it off, and he's, verse 12, buried it in baptism. Romans 6 talks about baptism is just a, like a connection to what Jesus did. Jesus was buried in a tomb. You were buried in the water. And just as uh, Jesus' old body is buried, so your old life is buried with him. You're connected to Jesus' death and burial. Then it continues, in which you were also, what? Raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. So when Jesus raised from the dead, all of your old life, was buried with him. If he's raised a new life, what are you raised in? New life. You have new life. And this new life, he says, verse 13, and you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, what does he say? God has made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Can I ask y'all a question? What does the word all mean? Are you sure are we allowed to use the word in the definition? Does all really mean all? Every single one of your sins, past, present, and future, he's forgiven. Then why do you keep walking around mopey like you're just the worst human being and God doesn't love you because you made mistakes? I do that too. Isn't that crazy? They're all forgiven. You should be like... Oh my goodness, why have I not realized that? I thought all meant some of them. I should, let me set you free today, church. It means all of them. What does it say? How did he do it? He canceled the record of debt that stood against Greg Brooks with its legal demands. My sin, 
You guys know it. Yeah, I mean, you know, your sin, you don't have to convince me, you, anybody in this world, that our sin has a consequence, and somebody's going to have to pay that. But it says right here in my Bible that Jesus canceled it at a huge cost to God himself. And he set it aside, nailing it to the cross. Do you understand that? Nailing it to the cross. What did you do yesterday that you regret? What are you living in right now that you feel ashamed of? This leads us to our last point of the implications. Listen, guys, some of you are in this room and you've got some failed expectations. You thought that somehow that if you do this Jesus thing and this church thing, you're going to turn out to be a really perfect guy. Let me just tell you, it's not going to happen. Not on this side of heaven. You're still going to struggle. But one thing is still true. You are seen perfectly in the eyes of God because you do have a perfect Savior. Your expectations got mixed up. And what you need now is to realize that you need to, with a continual flow, fix your eyes on Jesus and constantly remind yourself that even the sins of yesterday are covered, and so will be the sins of tomorrow. Don't present your members to sin as instruments of uh, unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Act like you are saved, is what that says. Hey, some of you guys in here, you're dealing with depression and anxiety because of your sin, right? You're hurt people, and you feel like nobody loves you, nobody's with you. But I'm pretty sure this is just telling us that, hey, look at Jesus. He's trying to tell you he's with you, friend. If you're in that place of depression, anxiety, you know what you need? You need exactly what Paul just did, to fix your eyes on Jesus, to look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Actually, your greatest problem is that you keep thinking about yourself. You keep focusing on what the world says you need, and you need to focus in on Jesus. It's not a program. It's not a church. It's not a pastor. You need to look at Jesus. Some of you in this room, you're searching. You're trying to find something. You've been searching, and you've tried different things. You've tried to build a good career. you try to get a great house. you try to drive a great car. you try to find a great wife. you try to have uh, great sexual experiences. You've tried to, to buy certain things. You've been searching and searching and searching, and I'm telling you right now, the Colossians, they were searching. They heard this gospel of Jesus and it changed their life, but then they started to get tempted to believe that it wasn't enough. And so Satan started, and through these men, started to convince them that, hey, Jesus is great. We're cool. Satan's cool with you believing in Jesus. But he's going, hey, but there's also these crazy, strong angels. They can do stuff for you. You should see if they could do stuff for me. You go, man, that doesn't seem like a really big deal. But Satan was an angel. And I guarantee you, the same angels that they were asking them to pray through, pray to Gabriel and Michael, I guarantee you Satan was trying to convince Gabriel and Michael, hey, these people, they could pray to you. They could come to you, Michael, Gabriel. It's one step away from doing the same ministry as Satan. Listen, social media companies, this world, it just wants to put a hook in your mouth that it might pull you in its direction to consume you. God's not wanting to consume you. He's wanting to transform you, to give you peace. Maybe you're in this room right now and you're trying to disciple people. If you're a Christian, you are discipling people. If you're not discipling people, hey, I've got news for you. You're not a Christian. You're not a Christian. We're called to disciple one another. So when I'm reading this, what is it? What is Paul setting an example for to us? What is he doing for us? I think Paul is showing me that if I really want to disciple people well, 
I have got to get out of the way. Do you understand this? There's some guys in this room, you've been leading Bible studies for a really long time, but the people you're leading are no better off than they were when you got them. Because all you've done is led a Bible study and got them to be attracted to you and your knowledge. It's a waste of your time. What we need is ministers of God's grace who don't stand between a person and Jesus, but who stand next to a person and go, check out Jesus. Look at his eyes. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Look at him. That's what Paul's doing in here. He's going, look at Jesus. Don't worry about me. Don't worry about Paul. I've never even met you. Look at Jesus. You guys hear that, Christians? Hey, church, I'm trying to encourage you. When you leave this place and you're talking about discipling people, don't make it about you. Make it about Jesus through you. Show them Jesus. Point their eyes to Jesus. you track what I'm saying? Maybe you're in a community group right now, and for you, you're in this community group, and it's stalled out. Of course, it's everybody in your community group. It's their fault, really. If they could just get their stuff together, it'd be really nice. That's my community group, you know. Here's the thing about our community group. In in Colossians 2.2, what does Paul say his desire is? That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches and full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Guys, if you want to see your community group thrive and grow, it's not about, we're getting real and honest. We're just telling each other how it is. We just got to give them this Bible verse and admonish them faithfully, right, and destroy them. That's, there's some people in my community group laughing because that's literally me. You know what your community group needs? They need to see that you are fixing your eyes on Jesus. You're not fixing your eyes on whether or not they'll be faithful so that you'll be faithful. You hear me? Some of you guys are not taking a step to be faithful because you're waiting for everybody else to do it. Why not be the person who goes first and says, I just trust Jesus. I'm not worried about you. I trust Jesus. And then what you do with your community group is go, hey, guys, do you see Jesus? And you remind them of his goodness, and you let him do the work in their life, but you show them Jesus on a consistent basis, and they show me Jesus on a consistent basis, and I guarantee you, you'll find that your community group is just going to be up and to the right. You're going to blossom. Sin's going to start being confessed. People are going to begin to grow. Lives are going to be transformed. Parents are going to start parenting like Jesus would want, and houses are going to start to be lorded by Jesus. You hear what I'm saying? So what did I just say for like 45 minutes? Let me tell you what I just told you for 45 minutes. Verse 15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Jesus. What I just told you for 45 minutes is the same thing I tell you every week for 45 minutes. What you really need is not a pastor and some charismatic 32-year-old. What you really need is Jesus. That's it. Here's the problem. Some of you are going to go, uh, I get you. I hear you, but. And I want to encourage you to not add a but. Jesus is what the church needs. Stay focused on Jesus. Look full in his face. And the things of your life that are killing you right now will become dim. Because Jesus is Supreme. Do you hear me, fan? Love y'all. You could literally fire me today and uh, just run off with that truth and follow it, and your life will be so transformed. So, if you want to hear that again next week, come back, and we're going to talk about it again. Uh, 
It's a little late, so we're seeing we're going to, I know that y'all hate me for this. We're going to hold off this time. But fam, uh, let me pray for you. We're going to get out of here. We're going to go be God's people. And I want to tell you, hold on, listen to me. I know I got the microphone. I love to talk. I want to tell you, if you're in this room and this is the first time you're realizing that really what the church should be talking about and what they are talking about is Jesus is really all you need and you really want Jesus and you want to begin a relationship with this Jesus, you want to invite him through the door of your house. Listen to me. Jesus says, man, he's standing at the door and he's knocking and he's hoping you'll let him in. And he's not trying to come to blow your world up. He's not trying to ruin your life. He's not trying to be the cosmic buzzkill. I and some of my friends will tell you, he will make everything so much better. He's amazing. Go read Jake's story on our website to hear it. Go read all the stories that are on our website of what God has done to prove it to you, okay? But after this, if you want to have a conversation with me about that, I would love nothing more. And I, and I want to tell you, nobody in this room is going to judge you for coming and talking to me. And me and our elders and a few other women are going to be up here. We'd love to sit and chat with you. We're just standing up here. And uh, the rest of you guys, I want to tell you, you could pick up your chairs. You could go get your kids if you're a parent. That's the first thing you should do. Um, but other than that, guys, have a great week of worship. Cannot wait to see you next week. I'll have my contacts in, so I will be able to see you. It's going to be wonderful. Let me pray. Jesus. Thank God all we need is Jesus. Because Jesus, if what we really needed was great pastors, we'd be in big trouble. And God, I need you so bad this week. Help me encourage my community to stand around me and point my eyes towards Jesus. And I pray that the members of this church, of Outpost Community Church, which really are just members of the church, I pray that today they would be reminded to be a people this week who fix their eyes on you. For my friends and visitors who came, God, I pray that you would ease their tensions and help them see that salvation is as simple as by faith putting their eyes on you and building their life in you. We love you, God. Be with us this week. We've got hurricanes coming, but we know in you we can do it. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen.